Hello, this is A.R. Bernard, and welcome to my podcast. My objective, it's simple, to create a platform where you can be educated, informed, and inspired as you navigate the intersection of faith and culture. If you have no faith, maybe you'll find it here. So, thanks for tuning in. We are blessed today to have with us um, the third generation. And you're familiar with the passage that says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. So the real manifestation of the legacy is experienced in the grandchildren, in the third generation. So the father builds, establishes, the son maintains, but then the grandchild begins to manifest the mantle that was on the grandfather. It's amazing, amazing uh, when you see it lived out from generation to generation. So let us stand right now as we receive with a warm CCC welcome the grandson of Nelson Mandela and Daba Mandela, who is with us here. You may be seated. Now, he, he celebrated a birthday, a milestone birthday, and he's not in midlife crisis, which is wonderful. But he celebrated his 40th birthday at Gracie Mansion on Friday. And I was happy to have the opportunity. Mayor Adams uh, gave proclamation, some of our other elected officials. Uh, our, our own Farrah Lewis, thank you, Farrah, for all that you did and all of those who are members of our congregation and part of uh, the mayor's administration. But it was a wonderful celebration, and we had opportunity to share and pray and welcome you. But this is not your first trip here. Okay, so you've been doing some things. Uh, give a greeting, and let's talk about your life, man, and your experience. Thank you very much, Pastor. Uh, first thing I can say is praise be to God. Amen. Amen. Um, I just want to thank everybody that's here today. And, um, you know, I just want to thank the Lord for the invitation that I received from you. And it feels good to be in the Lord's house this morning. Amen. So I, I resonate with his story because his grandfather, Nelson Mandela, of course, you know, he was released from prison February 1990. That's correct. And your father passed, and you ended up staying with your grandfather who raised you. You were what? How old then? Um, so I moved in when I was about 11 years old, and he sent my father to university. And so he told my father, I want you to focus on your studies, and so that I will take care of your grandson. Don't worry about your grandson. Focus on your studies. And my father went to uh, law school when, at the age of 45 years old. And he graduated when he was 50 years old. But then he passed away when he was 55 years old. Died from HIV AIDS. Both my parents. But my grandfather you know, had the courage to tackle this thing 
because we sat as a family and asked each other, what are we going to tell the world of how my father has passed? And my one cousin said, well, we can say pneumonia or TB. And my grandfather said, no, we should not do that. We shall simply say the life of my son was taken by HIV AIDS. And that was the first time a prominent family had actually put on the table what the real cause of death was. Mm. And it began a conversation and gave other families the courage to be able to tackle this disease head on. What was it like? I mean, you know, your grandfather is an icon. And how do you relate? First of all, what was it like being in the household with him, being raised by him? Well, of course, for me, I, uh, I was born in Soweto, in the hood, in the ghetto of, of, of South Africa, Johannesburg. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so the first time, you know, he took me to the house, I was actually playing marbles outside the house with my friend and a black BMW pulled up. Out jumps a man wearing a suit and tie, comes up to me. I've never seen the man before in my life. And he says, are you Ndaba? I say, yes. He says, uh, I've been sent by a grandfather to come and fetch you. Let's go. And I say, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. And he says, do you have any idea who your grandfather is? Do you want me to get fired? And I said, no, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking stranger danger. <laughs> and um, eventually he gave up and he left. And so when my father came home later that day, I told him what had transpired. And he said, well, if that man comes up again, you should go with him. And uh, lo and behold, later that week he came, I went with him to the leafy white suburbs of northern Johannesburg. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we come up to the gate and it's an electric gate and it opens and I see cops and I see security and I go inside. And, you know, there's the ladies are cleaning. There's just a whole lot of commotion. A lot of people just busy. And then they set me down. And eventually, you know, they, you know, my grandfather came and he said, listen, I'm sending your father to university and you're going to come and stay with me. And, uh, you know, in the African household, a child doesn't talk or ask questions. You just do as you're told. That's it. <laughs> we need some of that here in the United States. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so was it, I mean, were you aware of the largesse of, of, of the figure of your grandfather? I mean, it was only much later, to be honest with you, uh, when I saw the commotion, the security, everything happening in the house. But, you know, growing up, uh, not really. So I remember the first time I went to go and see him. My parents say we're going to see him in jail. So I'm eight years old. I have a typical picture of what jail is. Concrete bars, you know, guards, dogs, etc. Mm -hmm. When we get there, I didn't understand that he was kept in a separate house in isolation for the last uh, six years of his imprisonment. Because they were trying to break him down mentally. To say, Mandela, see this house that we've provided here for you. We can provide this for the rest of your days. And for your family, as long as you denounce your comrades, as long as you denounce this movement, we will be able to take care of you. And mm. of course, Matiba never, ever right. even thought twice about that. Yeah. So when I get there, it's a house more beautiful than my house. There was a swimming pool. I never had a swimming pool. 
you know, VCR, and I met a chef for the first time. And we met the man, of course, and he was happy to see his grandkids. And for the first time, I had an idea of what I wanted to do when I grew up. They say, Daba, do you want to be a policeman, a lawyer? I said, no. When I grow up, I want to go to jail. <laughs> so you could come out like him. <laughs> I, thought, I thought that house was jail. <laughs> Gosh, I, look, I, we could take a long period of time, but I know time, time is tight, uh, and you have other stuff as well. But you, at some point, identified with the mantle that was on him. What was that moment like, and what has come out of that moment? To be honest with you, um, from a young age, my grandfather... I remember sitting at the table, Sandaba, you are my grandson. Therefore, people will look at you as a leader. Therefore, you must get the best marks in class. And I was like, whoa, 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 the pressure. Whoa, 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 whoa. And, you know, as you grow up, then, you know, I got circumcised. So in my, in my, in my, in my culture, we go through circumcision school when you're ready to become a man, between the ages of 18 and 20. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time my grandfather actually looked at me and asked me a question, because he's a very traditional man. And also when I finished my degree, that was the first time my grandfather said, okay, now you can say something. <laughs> you have earned the right to have an opinion on this table. <laughs> you know? I love that culture. I just wanna get it here. Oh, so, yeah, it was, it was a lot of pressure, but of course, our parents are not putting pressure on us to fail. If you think about how a diamond is created, it's through a lot of pressure, yeah. Yeah. right? Because yeah. they want you to become the best version of yourself. They want you to even do more than you think you are capable of doing. Mm. Mm. Right? That's why they pressure you so that you can go within yourself and understand the power that you have inherited, that you've been given, because you are born, therefore, you have a gift and a message for this world, like every single one of us sitting here today. Are you finished preaching? I thought you, I thought you, I thought you was getting warmed up here, okay. Oh, no, no, not at all, but um, to be honest, yes, there was a lot of pressure. But yes, growing up as a Mandela, so being the Mandela was not really the issue, but standing up and be recognized and yeah. taking your place yeah. in the world as a leader. Yeah. And I realized that I couldn't have been able to do that without my family, the support that I get. And now that I'm a father, I have a son who's 12 years old. I have a daughter who's nine years old. It's everything for them. Mm -hmm. We have to leave this place in a better way than we found it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Global vision. That has now translated into an organization that you represent out of which you do things. What do you do and what is that organization? So right here in America, it's called the Mandela Institute for Humanity. Mm -hmm. And we are focused on leadership, activating leaders. We say, if there were 100 Mandelas, wouldn't the world be a better place? Mm -hmm. So how do we 
take the lessons, the principles, the values of Nelson Mandela, teach the young kids what is compassion versus passion, mm. integrity, resilience, right? Having a vision, the courage, mm. right? To do something with vigor, but without actually putting someone else down, right? The importance of unity. In Africa, we say, if you want to go fast, you go alone. But if you want to go far, you go together. So we have a program that we have designed where we teach these values to young people. Mm -hmm. So the first installation will be actually coming up this year for young people between the age of 24 to 30. And... Um, Two parts. The first part, they will be doing online courses, five online master classes with myself and Elias Shabazz, mm -hmm. Malcolm X's daughter, as well as Bernice King. Mm -hmm. And um, once they're done with that, they then travel to South Africa and they travel to Nelson Mandela's places. So in Johannesburg, where he became an activist, established the first black law firm, you know, became part of the ANC movement, mm -hmm. moving backwards to Eastern Cape to learn about traditional leadership and governance, and then finally to Robben Island, where he was incarcerated for yeah. all those years. Yeah. These are the three main places that made Nelson Mandela who he is. So how do we take those values and apply them in our own community, in our businesses, in our home, to become the next generation of Nelson Mandela-like leaders? That's a powerful message. If you notice... Prison was included in the places that made him who he is. Too often we want to avoid the bad and only the good, yet it all comes together to make us who we are. So how do people find out about this? So we have a, a, a website. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, Eric. <laughs> uh, it's mifh.org. Um, yeah. And there's, there's information on the website. Um, we also have another organization in South Africa mm -hmm. called Africa Rising, which is mainly focused on youth empowerment. So we do programs like career guidance. We do sports. We do recreation. Um, we've partnered with corporates, you know, doing like financial literacy, Unilever, you know, hygiene class for ladies in the villages. Yeah, and we keep continue doing that kind of work. Changing the world by changing individuals. If you transform the person, you transform the environment that that person is in. I, 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 I'm just, you know, as Jesus said, not only that you bear much fruit, but that your fruit should remain. That means he wants what we achieve in life to continue even beyond us to be fruitful, sustainability. And we're seeing you as the continued fruit from that man's life and what he achieved and what he accomplished. And everybody didn't like him. We celebrate him and, and, and love him, but, you know, everybody didn't like him. But he was okay with that. Of course, of course. You can't please everybody. Yeah. Um, but you have to know who you are. Once you know who you are, you know, a friend of mine said something very interesting the other day, talking about Africans and the challenges that we face. He said, once the men know who they are, then the woman will be able to lead. All right, we're going to stop right here.
I try not to have guests come in, blow up the place, and then I got to put it back together. That statement has to be unpacked. But we teach that when men are the men that God designed them to be, they liberate women to be the women that God designed them to be. That's right. So we're on the same track. Man, we're proud of you. I was talking uh, uh, about, uh, to my grandsons about you. They're so excited because I too, we, my wife and I lost a son. I shared this with you when we spoke uh, at, at Gracie Mansion. And we are now raising our grandsons and putting that same standard on them and helping them realize who they are, the value that they bring, and how they can make a contribution to society. Man, thank you. Thank you so much for what you do. Thank you for stopping by. And uh, we're just proud of you. And you are now in our prayers. We, we have a team of people who pray every morning uh, consistently, uh, close to a 1,000 people. And you are now a part of that prayer team. Thank you. Thank you very much. Amen. Praise be to God. Yes, <laughs> Come on, family, stand to your feet. Let's show some love and appreciation for Endaba Mandela. And we'll be talking. We'll be talking. Praise the Lord. While you're standing, let's pray over the word. Come on. We're going to open our hearts to the wisdom and instruction of the word. Right? Praise the Lord. Now, Eric, I think you guys have a schedule. Let me know how that is. You're going to stay. Okay. Because you, you can't leave while I'm preaching. They won't let you out. Just... <laughs> Once I get started, that's it. All right. Okay. Good. Good. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, again, thank you for your wisdom, the wisdom of your word, your truth that comes to set us free. Bless us today as we open our hearts and minds to that wisdom we pray it in Christ's name, amen and amen. You may be seated. Would you open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke? The Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, beginning at verse 16. And I'm reading from the Amplified Bible. The Amplified Bible. And this is in continuation of the signs of the times. God at work. What is God doing in the world? We can spend our time talking about the devil and what he's doing, but I'm more interested in what God is doing. Anybody with me on that one? Yeah, because I, I want to find out what he's doing, where he's doing it, so I can sign up, because I know that's going to be the place of blessing. That's going to be the place where I'm going to learn, grow, and contribute. And that's what we're here to do, right? To do three things. What are they? Learn, grow, and contribute. What are they? Learn, grow, and contribute. This is a teaching ministry, right? So we're, we're here to learn, to grow, right? So three things we're here to do what? Learn, grow, and contribute. It's giving back. And the more we grow and mature, the more valuable what we contribute is along the way. So Jesus begins his ministry, and I want to speak specifically to his mission. And the word mission simply means the task that has been assigned. That 
for which he was anointed. That for which he was anointed. The Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, filled with promises of a coming one. Beginning at Genesis 3.15, and then in Deuteronomy, God tells Moses that the time will come where I will raise up someone like you, and he's the one who will lead change. And of course, we know through the scripture that ultimately that was realized in Jesus Christ. For when the fullness of time, the apostle Paul said, come, God sent his son born of a woman. So it would be this male child. So he begins his ministry and he's in the temple. Remember, he grew up within Jewish culture, within their ritual system, and he followed the laws. So he's in the temple, but he's now there, not as a participant, but to unfold his identity, his person, and his work, which would be promoted through his words. So he comes into the temple. Verse 16, let's read it. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, his tradition, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath. He stood up to read. Now please understand that his reputation had already started growing. There was a lot of talk. He is now in his hometown after launching his ministry and beginning the proclamation that the kingdom of heaven is at hand within reach. The promise, rule, and reign of God is within reach, that we now have access. And why did they want access to that? Because they knew what it would bring to humanity. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And please understand, all right, this had to be a setup because it was at a specific chapter in Isaiah chapter 61 that he would read from. So this was orchestrated that someone would bring him the scroll right to that specific chapter so he could now read it and use it as his text. Verse 17 again, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now when you read the Amplified Bible, understand that whatever's in parentheses and brackets is commentary. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, the Messiah, because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to announce release, pardon, forgiveness to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set those who are oppressed, downtrodden, bruised, crushed by tragedy, to proclaim the favorable, or King James language, acceptable year of the Lord, the day when salvation and the favor of God abound 
greatly. So he reads this. All eyes are on him. He rolled up the text, the scroll rather, having stopped in the middle of the verse. And that's critical. In other words, he didn't complete the text. Because if you go back to Isaiah chapter 61, you will find these words. But you will find additional words as well. And it's because he did not read the rest of the text that they had a problem with him. We celebrate what he said. We celebrate the portion that he read. But the Jews were looking for a very specific political leader to come and change the conditions of their living. Remove them from oppression. Then he rolled up, verse 20 again, then he rolled up the scroll, having stopped in the middle of the verse, gave it back to the attendant and sat down to teach. And the eyes of all those in the synagogues were attentively fixed on him. Got to understand the, the tension here. They're now wondering, after hearing about him in the preliminary parts of his ministry, they're wondering, what is he going to say? And that's important. Words. But not only words, he was the word. He was the incarnation of the communication of God. And the word became what? Flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word was about to issue words. He's about to speak. This is very, very important. Amen? And I won't get into that now. Okay. We'll get back to that. Words. Maybe we won't. The first time I read that there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels. How many read that in Revelation? The devil and his angels. I was puzzled. Then when I read in Daniel that there was conflict between the prince of Grisha, Michael, another angel, I wondered, how do angels fight? Am I alone on the planet here? I mean, how many, how many, you know, we take it for granted. You know, there was war in heaven, there's conflict. And we think of it in the physical sense. But uh, these are beings that are different from us. What kind, are we watching, you know, superpowers at work here? Are we watching Marvel comics? What, what are we seeing when we think about that? They were at war with each other. How do they war? How do they fight? Is it physical? And how long will it take? Because they are immortal beings, right? They are spiritual beings that are a different class, different level that the Bible reveals. So I wonder, how do they engage in conflict? And it led me to a very important revelation. When Adam and Eve sinned, Adam said to God, God comes on the scene. 
He said, I hit myself. I was afraid because I was naked. And the first thing God says to him, who told you you were naked? Did you hear that? Someone gave him some what? Words. And that's when the war started. The war would be a, come on, war of words. It would not be physical like we think. It would be a war of words. Deception versus truth. Are you getting it? Deception versus what? Truth. And what are we experiencing here on this planet thousands of years after this revelation? Come on, what are we experiencing? We've come up with many ways of communicating, platforms for communication, but essentially it's a war of what? The weapons for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. To the pulling down of what? Stronghold. And every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Thoughts, knowledge, these are what? Words. And that's why as you develop your understanding and skill in the use of words, you become empowered. And begins with learning to read. Because reading is your first introduction to what? Words. The conflicts that we see are ideologies. Ideologies are ideas. Ideas are shaped, fashioned, and formed by what? Words. By faith, we understand that the world was framed. Come on, how many are in the book? By the word. He upholds all things by the power of his word. When the devil and Satan met in the wilderness, it was a war of what? When God released order and, and, and filled that order called the universe, he did it with what? When a man was in hell, what was on fire? Death and life are in the power of the? Because the tongue releases what? By your words, you will be justified or condemned. It's all about words. And he cast out devils with his word. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was 
All things were made by And without him, the word was not anything made that was, come on, made. In him, the word was what? Life. That's why death and life were in the power of our what? Words. With words, we give life or we give death. See, early on when I didn't know no better, <laughs> I pictured prayer and when he says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And see, I, I, I introduced to all this in the Pentecostal church. So we would, we would get in there and sweat and spit. And we were wrestling. Come on. How many, how many went to that church? Come on. Raise your hand. Look at you. Don't, don't leave me out here by myself. And I, I was wrestling. I was fighting. Until I realized, no, this is where it happens. Newspapers are filled with what someone said, either of their own self or about something else. Everything revolves around what? Words. It is a war of words. I never first, I remember, I never forget, I remember the first time I read that Satan was uh, cast like lightning out of heaven. And I'm trying to picture that because look, we're used to the material existence. We're used to the physical realm, right? God is spirit. This is a different realm and dimension of existence. So of course, when we say someone fell out of heaven, what are we, what are we, what are we thinking? Boom. Come on. Turn your neighbor and say, neighbor, you know you thought it was, it was physical. <laughs> but it was symbolic words that were speaking of his removal from power, from removal from authority. That he no longer exercised the same level of power and authority. Words make you feel things. Words make you think Things. Words make you do things. And the greater your command of language and words, the more powerful your communication and influence. Because when someone articulates clearly and knowledgeably, you say, he knows what he's talking about. She knows what she's talking about. Finding the right words because the conflict, the war, is a war of what? I'm telling you, if you have never had a revelation, this should be a revelation that opens up doors of knowledge and understanding when you read the scripture. The Bible talks about idle words. And an idle word, the word idle means empty, which means words are carriers. Words carry something. Words produce. Words are seeds. Come on, you know the text. 
My words shall not return to be void. Isaiah the prophet, but shall accomplish what I send it to do. It will give bread to the eater and seed to the sower. It will prosper in the thing to which it was sent. And that's why he sent his word to heal us and deliver us from instruction. When you come here every Sunday, you worship, you praise God. But at the end of the service, you want to sit down and hear some And how many know words that come from God? You don't need, God does not do a lot of talking. He can give you a few words and boom, it ignites something in your thinking, in your heart, in your memory, in your emotions. And, and, and that start connecting just based upon a phrase. How many have ever had that happen to you? It's a war of words. I'm going to dig into that more next year. But let's look at the words that he spoke. Are you with me? Look at what he said after he reads the text. Verse 21, he began speaking to them. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing and in your presence. And as he continued on, they all were speaking well of him and were in awe and were wondering about the words of grace which were coming from his lips. What was coming out? What was impacting them? Is not this, is this not Joseph's son? So he said to them, you will no doubt quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever miracles that we heard were done by you in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. All right, look up, because I don't want to get too deep into this, because then we have to, we won't have time to, to unpack all that I want to share with you. He gave them words. Those words stirred them, and they knew they knew the passage that he was quoting from. They were familiar with it because the rest of the passage, the rest of the verse that he did not quote, spoke about Israel's freedom from oppression. It also said that all the nations will come and submit and serve Israel. But that's not what he came to say. It's not what he came to say. So he stopped it. He interrupted it right there. This was his mission. Remember the word mission? He announced his mission. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me too. And then he goes through the whole thing. Let's sum it up in three things that we're going to use as a framework. Number one, proclamation. Number two, this is his mission. Number three, 
This was his mission. This was his mission. We have to learn how to read the Bible. You should read it and read it to get the story. But you grow in learning and understanding how to read it, how to understand it, right? So, number one, what? Come on, talk to me. Number two? Number three? Notice the language. Open the prison doors. Set the captives free. Set at liberty those that are bound. Good news for the poor. Proclamation. And at the end of it, he says to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And if you know anything about the Old Testament in Leviticus, the acceptable year of the Lord was called the year of Jubilee. It was the 50th year. And in that year, all debts were released. So if you owed someone, it was wiped clean. So if you're going to borrow, borrow in the 49th year. I'm just saying. But it was removal of debt. Slaves were set free because of the Jubilee. He was announcing, announcing a Jubilee, not a 50th year, but a Jubilee age that he was now releasing the world into. It would be a time because in the 50th year of Jubilee, all debts were clear. In other words, he was coming to clear humanity's debt to God. To remove sin, to issue forgiveness. Forgiveness is the release of debt. You don't owe me anything. And that's real understanding of forgiveness. Because if I, if I do something, if I sin against you and I forgive you, it means you don't owe me anything any longer. But if we don't understand that clearly, we will treat a person after we've forgiven them like they still owe us for what they did to us. He was proclaiming a new season. Justice advocacy. Listen to the words of, of, of John the Baptist. How many heard of John the Baptist? Let's go to Luke, Luke chapter 3 real quick. The word of the Lord comes to John. We'll go to Luke chapter 3. All right, we got to go to verse 2. I, I didn't want to read the whole thing. It just lays out the power structure. Verse 2, in the high priest uh, of, 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 of Annas and Caiaphas, the son-in-law, the word of God came to who? The word of God came to who? John, the son of Zacharias. You read the story, part of the Christmas story, right? In the wilderness. And he went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it written and forever remains written in the book of the words of the Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one shouting or crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every ravine shall be what? Every ravine shall be what? And every mountain and hill shall be what? Level. And the crooked places shall be what? Made straight. And the rough roads and all mankind shall see the salvation of the Lord. You cannot read this literally. God's not going to come and lower all the, level all the mountains so the entire planet is just a plain. No, it's symbolic language to say what? 
that the crooked will be made straight. He's leveling the playing field of human experience. That's why we pray, because we know the playing field of human experience is not level. And we appeal to God to level it in specific situations that we're going through. How many have been there and asked God to level the playing field? And leveling the playing field is advocating for this thing called justice. Jesus announces this is what he's going to do, but he's going to do it with compassion. In other words, the disenfranchised, the marginalized, the least of these, the weakest among us can celebrate because they're no longer going to be ignored. You see, Jesus' ministry was more than just getting people to heaven. If that were the case, then we just get saved and die. Why, why, why hang around? But his prayer was, Father, I pray not that you take them out of the world, but in the world, protect them from evil. And then he says, as you sent me into the world, I'm now sending them into the world. And we move from mission to commission. The great commission. And what is our mission? That was weak. <laughs> What's our mission? Proclaiming, hey, God's favor is here and now to set you free from all of the things that have you bound in anxiety and struggling and are killing you and tearing you apart. Christ came to open that prison to set you free. And we know that the greatest prisons are not made of concrete and steel. They're the prisons of the mind. To remove the blinders that kept us spiritually and morally blind. To open our eyes to the what? The truth. And it is not easy to set people from, to set people free from a deception that they've spent so much of their life deceived by. Because deception will cause you to question the truth when it comes to you. Because it doesn't line up with what you've understood. Freedom. Freedom. Liberty. All of that. To touch mankind in a way that they've never been touched before. And when we continue this next week. We're going to unpack it some more and come up with some specific applications so that you can learn, grow, and contribute. Did you get anything out of this today? If there's anything, anything that you need to leave here with, it's that the war is a what? Come on. It's a war of what? I can't hear you. It's a war of what? Words. 
What do you think hate speech is? Anti-Semitism, racism, I mean, on and on and on. All social constructs are constructed by what? We use words, I'm trying to shut up. We use words to define, to explain, to interpret things. It's all through the power of what? Come on. Words. How many have been hurt by words? How many been helped by words? Inspired by words? Made, made fearful by words? Confused by words. Clarified by words. The confusion of tongues in Babel. What was it about? And God said. What is that? Half God said. What is that? I heard your voice walking in the garden. What is that? Words, words, and the better we are at our words, the more powerful we become as agents of change towards righteousness, justice, compassion, which is the desire of God. Come on, let's all stand. Watch your put a watch over my mouth that I sin not with my tongue, my words. You read the 19th Psalm. What are you reading about? Creation. Expressing the glory and grandeur of God. And how do we interpret what it expresses? Through words. How many have struggled to find the right words? How many sent out some words you wish you could? We will discuss the principles surrounding words and the war of words. How they happen. One particular, one particular text in James that we'll unpack. All right? Did you get anything out of this this morning? Come on, slap high five with three people. Tell them I got that word. Spiritual warfare is a war of what? Human warfare is a war of what? Words. Social media is a platform for what? Television is a platform for what? Radio is a platform for what? Internet is a platform for what? And if the platform is not regulated, the words won't be regulated. Let's bow our heads as we go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your words this morning. Thank you for that collection of words called the Bible through which you gave a special revelation of yourself and an understanding of ourselves. Because it's when we know who we are and whose we are 
that we can rise up, make a difference, make a contribution, and bring the glory of your name and your mission to the earth. Thank you for what our eyes have seen this morning, our ears have heard this morning, and our hearts have understood. Holy Spirit, I pray that in this audience here, in those who are joining us online across the country and around the world, that these words heard today will be seeds that penetrate the soil of their heart and mind, germinate, grow, and bring forth much fruit. This is my prayer. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, give God a good hand clap offering. Hallelujah. Words create relationships, words end relationship. And that's why the scripture says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, you shall be what? The power of and here to share some words with us to that point of salvation. Let's welcome Elder Pointer. Praise the Lord. We wouldn't allow this moment to go by without giving you an opportunity to speak those words that bring you into a right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. As Pastor just said, quoting from the book of Romans, it says, if you will believe in your heart, you believe unto righteousness, and you will confess with your mouth that you confess unto salvation. For if you believe and you will confess Jesus, you shall be saved. Whether you're here in this auditorium or whether you are watching via the internet, wherever you are in this world, God is right there with you. And there's nothing on this earth that can stop what God wants to do in your life right now. No tribulation, no trial, no, no burden, no, no oppression, nothing, absolutely nothing. If you will speak these words out of your heart and believe them, we'd like to lead you in a word of prayer. If you'll just bow your heads in the presence of God. Hallelujah. And you'll just repeat this prayer with me. If you believe it, you will receive it. Say, Father, I thank you for this day that you have designed just for me. You sent your word to find me, to heal me, to birth me into your kingdom. So I confess today that I am a sinner and that I have transgressed. But I ask your forgiveness. I ask you to heal me of all unrighteousness. I receive Jesus right now in my life as Lord of my life, as my soon coming King. And I declare according to this prayer and to the words you gave me in your book that I am saved. 
in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Come on, somebody. Give God a praise and a hand clap. Thank him for what he has done. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. Elder How many have heard of the whole armor of God? You have only one weapon. Everything in that, harm, in that armor is protection. There's only one weapon. What is it? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You have a whole new world that has just opened to you in that message. Pursue it. Pursue it. Live life differently. On the basis of what you heard today. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Give God a good hand. Clap offering. Thank you for being with us today. Let's say something good as we leave, as we leave this place. But never God's presence. Jesus, Jesus is Lord. Period. We believe it. We proclaim it. And we are seeing it come to pass. God bless you. Have a wonderful week in the Lord. Thanks for tuning in to the A.R. Bernard Podcast. I hope you were enriched by the information and or the conversation. Make sure subscribe by clicking the link in the bio to gain more information about me and the work that I'm doing. Again, thank you and God bless.